0: So I want to look one last time over the creation week, and you might turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I think I'll not read the whole passage and all of its familiarity, but I'm interested in the refrain that we have seen in the course of our study of Genesis 1 in particular Refrain about the days. So, if you have that before you, for example, at the end of the first day, we read in verse five, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Then, at the end of the second day, we read in uh, verse eight, and there was evening, and there was morning. Second day, and in the at the end of the third day, uh, verse 13, there was evening and there was morning. The third day, at the end of the fourth day, in verse 19, there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day, likewise with the fifth day, at the end of uh, or verse 23, there was evening, there was morning. The fifth day, one more time. It appears in our text in uh, the sixth day, the end of the sixth day, and all that it held, you read in verse 31, God saw that everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Regarding regard to the seventh day, that refrain does not appear in chapter two, but the word, of course, day. Uh, appears. He rested on the seventh day, we're told. Verse 2, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work he had done in creation. Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our meditations, the days of creation. Our Father, we desire to know as much as you have revealed about how you created. We wish to know as much, not to pry beyond what you've revealed. We are ready to stand on your word and we pray that you'll give us grace within our larger community as we seek to understand even of the puzzles of your word. This is our prayer tonight in Jesus name. Amen. Seems appropriate for me to say to you that I've actually preached this sermon once before at Resurrection Presbyterian Church, but it was back in 2004. So I think it won't be fresh in your remembrance. Uh, what had drawn me to preach on the days of creation back in 2004 was that it was quite a subject of interest within the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, our denomination had just at its General Assembly received a report back from a committee of of very learned members of our denomination who were studying not only the range of views within the Reformed community on the nature and length of the days of creation, but also bringing recommendations back to the GA about how we should live with that kind of diversity. So the report, you can access it online if you have any interest in it, Outlined various views of the days of creation, and then it very importantly went on to speak of the essential doctrines that had to be affirmed by anyone seeking ordination in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, but still allowed in its recommendations for diversity on the narrow question of the length of the days. Our sister denomination, the PCA, had. Received a similar report just a few years earlier. I recall at the time some of the members of Resurrection being a little surprised that there was diversity on this subject. And I thought it appropriate not only to preach what uh, I understand to be the straightforward reading of Genesis 1, but also to give some pastoral guidance as we find ourselves within a communion. Denomination of good men who differ on the subject. So I'm returning to that sermon. I have uh, been interested to see what I said back in 2004, and I think it will be a profit. I might not structure a sermon exactly the same way if I were starting from scratch, but here's what I want to do uh, this evening uh, in 2023. I want to present the biblical case for ordinary 24 hour daily views. We've been considering Genesis 1. Then I'm going to anticipate some of the objections that are raised against this view by good men within our communion. And then I want to give some guidelines for living with current creation uh, discussion, creation week or creation day discussion. So uh, if you're unaware, there are uh, about three views... Uh, broadly speaking, of the days of creation uh, that are near to the Orthodox Christian Church and to Presbyterianism and its conservative manifestations. There's the first, which is that the days are quite simply ordinary 24-hour periods The days just as we experience them today. There is another view that's held by some in our denomination that the days are long periods of time, many, many, many days, even years within each day. And then there are those who uh, say, we simply don't know how long the days were. Uh, That view is divided between those who think there is absolutely no attempt in Genesis 1 to uh, present a sequence of events. It's rather a poetic uh, organization topically of all that God did in creation. And there are others who actually see a sequence in that. But just submit that the text isn't trying to tell us how long each day actually was. I think the most straightforward reading of Genesis 1 is that the days of the creation week were days like we are experiencing, uh, 24-hour periods of time. And uh, to begin the argument for that tonight, brothers and sisters, uh, I think the strongest argument is that it is the most straightforward uh, reading of the text of Scripture. In other words, it's just what it sounds like it's saying. Again and again, even uh, in the very high-level debates that are engaged in on this point, uh, that again and again comes up uh, by those who are defending the traditional 24-hour day view. The Bible is written for ordinary people, to read and to form their conclusions based on what it seems to be saying. Now, there's limits to that argument. There are mysteries in the Bible. There are puzzles in the Bible. There are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand, to be sure. But the question is, is Genesis 1 crafted in such a way? And I think the strongest argument for a literal day in Genesis 1 uh, is that it reads so evidently like 24-hour day. A 24-hour day. So, for example, that refrain, there was evening and there was morning. What does that bring to mind to the average reader of, of the scriptures, the hearer of the scriptures? Well, it brings to mind the same time frame we know and experience today. Uh, it could even be said that if Moses, the author of Genesis 1, was trying to say something other than a 24-hour day, that refrain would be a misdirect for our understanding what he's saying. Now, there are conservative Bible scholars who would have a different view of that, but it's interesting at this point that uh, the liberal scholars uh, actually agree with us 24-hour day guys on this point. Now, remember a liberal has a certain luxury. Liberal scholars can say, well, the Bible clearly says this, but it's not true. See, they have that luxury of of saying well it's clearly saying such and such but I don't have to believe it. Conservatives don't have that luxury. We actually have to see what it says and we have to believe it but Douglas Kelly in his book Creation and Change cites a couple of liberal scholars who uh, are simply stating the case it's very clear in the Hebrew uh, that day means an ordinary day. Here's another consideration for our coming to that conclusion. Uh, the 24 hour day view is most consistent with other biblical texts on creation. And the most conspicuous of those other biblical texts is the one that we looked at this morning. Uh, It's Exodus chapter 28 through 11. It's the fourth commandment. There, God is directly uh, relating his day of rest with our day of rest. And our day of rest is clearly a 24-hour period of time. And the correspondence seems quite clear it would be, many would say, uh, Exodus twenty eleven, an inspired interpretation of the length of the work day of creation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And in the context of Exodus twenty, it's quite clear a Sabbath day is a twenty-four hour period of time. We could look at other passages like Deuteronomy 4, verse 32. Listen to how the word day is used in Deuteronomy 4, verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past. How is the word being used in a very ordinary sense? Ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this ever happened or was ever heard of. I'll move on just to observe that those who take the understanding that Genesis 1 is talking about a succession of 24-hour periods like we experience uh, have the vast majority uh, of the exegesis of the church on their side. It's the majority... Position far and away. It's that from uh, early church, with exceptions or two that I'll note, to the scholastics of the medieval period like Aquinas, to the reformers like Luther and Calvin and Beza, to prominent Puritans, to men like Jonathan Edwards, and it's the only view we know of espoused by the Westminster uh, divines. So there are good reasons for seeing the text just in its most straightforward sense. So why would anyone, why would even, and this is particularly my interest tonight, why would our brothers, why would good and godly men come to any other conclusion? I'll point out some of the observations they make and I'll try to try to give something of an answer to them. Uh, if uh, the high schoolers are listening, I, I hope you'll uh, uh, think about your own uh, discussions of these subjects, perhaps, in your years to come. Uh, so it's observed by some of our brothers that the Hebrew word for day, it's the word yom in Hebrew, Hebrew word for day doesn't, in fact, always mean 24 hours uh, of, a, of a period. Uh, so, for example, those who have seeing the days of Genesis as really ages, lengthy periods of time, I'll point out that in Genesis 2, verse 4, the word day is not used of a 24-hour period of time. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day... The Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, that's a use of the word yom in the Hebrew that corresponds to our use of the word day. Uh, We use the word day that way, either to refer to something we're experiencing just now that's about to end, the sun's gone down, or to a period of time when an old guy says, back in my day, he doesn't have a specific day in mind, he has a, a lengthier season, his Childhood, for example. And that's a way that the scripture does use the word day. But, counterpoint to that, again and again brought, is that in Genesis 1 there's these specific indicators, the context is everything, of evening and morning. That puts the word day in a certain cycle that we're all very familiar with. And it's often pointed out that they're numbered. Day 1, day 2, day 3, and so on. There is no other place in the scripture where day, the word yom, is combined with numbers where it means something other than 24-hour period of time. Others of our brothers have pointed out a day is determined by the sun. A day is determined by sunrise, sunset, in terms of how we experience it but the sun wasn't created until the fourth day. Now that's something that's obvious in the text, and we looked at it as we worked through Genesis chapter 1. How could there be evening and morning when there was no sun to set or sun to rise? And so some have said those days must be figurative expressions, at least the first three, because no sun was in existence. I'll just point out, as I did early on, there was no sun, but there was day and night. There was light and darkness from the first day, remember? God is recording this for people who know how much time there is in a day. He does not distinguish between the days before the sun and after the sun. And so the most natural conclusion is though there is no source of light apart from God himself, which we'll return to in a moment, uh, there's days of the same length, one through six. Now some have also pointed out among our brothers that light's created before the light's source. So that is seen as some indication that uh, the a narrative of Genesis 1 is not intended to be understood sequentially um, that it's us a, a more topical arrangement of, of all that God does in the creation week he's just organizing all of his work of creation for our understanding under these six topics well John Calvin He does a good job of answering this even before this view comes into its full form. He says, It did not, however, happen from inconsideration or by accident that the light preceded the sun and the moon. To nothing are we more prone than to tie down the power of God to those instruments, the agency of which he employs. The sun and moon supply us with light, and according to our notions, we so include this power to give light in them that if they were taken away from the world, it would seem impossible for any light to remain. Therefore, The Lord, by the very order of the creation, bears witness that he holds in his hands the light which he is able to impart to us without the sun and the moon. Calvin is saying, that's actually by design. God wants us to recognize that this most magnificent of all his creations in terms of its brilliance, in terms of its glory, is not the true source of brilliance and glory. It's God. Himself. This is part of God's, if you will, pedagogy, what he's teaching the way that he creates. Others have just stood back. Again, I've heard this from some of my colleagues. They said, Well, if it's a literal 24 hour day, that sixth day is just impossibly busy. So God creates living creatures of the land. He makes man. He brings the animals to man for naming, he causes Adam to go to sleep, he creates a woman, he gets them married off, that part, and he makes a garden for them to live in. Some have said that's just not likely to happen all in one day. Well, you can already guess perhaps what the rejoinder to that is. If this creation week is an entirely and thoroughly supernatural week, well, a day is actually a lot more time than God needed. A 24-hour day is a lot more time than God needed. And there are things that we need not assume. We need not assume that Adam made all the animals all in one day, nor do we need to assume that the fall of Adam happens on that day. These are all... Observations made as good men seek to grapple with the text and ask questions about the traditional view of the days in light of the text. There's one other factor that is used to question the 24 hour day view, and that is those who believe that the findings of science seem to prove the great antiquity, the earth. Now this is raised not just by those who are committed to thoroughgoing evolutionists uh, who would say that Adam is a figment, a mythical man, uh, and so on. These have departed from a high view of scripture entirely. This also weighs with those who retain a thoroughly supernatural view of creation. They believe that God creates by his word. They believe that he creates animals after their kind. They believe that God creates a literal Adam from dust and Eve from his rib. They're not theistic evolutionists, but they're impressed with the seeming appearance of great age in the earth, at least as the scientific community offers that assessment. And they're wondering if the Genesis account allows for God actually doing all these supernatural things over a great period of time. I'll just note to you that six day, six ordinary day creation, strictly speaking, doesn't settle the age of the earth. Speaking of the amount of time that it takes to create. It doesn't settle the precise age of the earth, but it's often pointed out, rightly so, that as we evaluate the appearance of age in the earth through the measurements that are available to us in the scientific world, we need to bear in mind that God chose to create at least Adam and Eve with what, from our perspective, would be the appearance of age. So Adam, as i noted this morning, was not created as a baby. He was created as a full-grown and mature man. Likewise, Eve, if you were to meet Adam, you'd say, well, I think he's, I don't know, 18, 20, 20, I I don't I'm guessing. You'd guess that he was... Of a certain age, but in fact he wasn't. He was only brought into existence yesterday. The most significant way to respond, though, uh, to this concern about what science suggests about the great antiquity of the earth is really to grasp the nettle of how special revelation. To be understood in relation to general revelation. I want to quote now from uh, the representation of the 24 hour view of the days of creation from what was actually the PCA's study committee. They write this Some have asserted that this view, quote, seems not to take science seriously and impugns the veracity of God. Because on the one hand, it dismisses central conclusions of the current scientific consensus on cosmogony. And on the other hand, it supposedly requires one to view the general revelation evidence as to the age of the earth as misleading. That's the criticism. They go on. This criticism is based on the assumption that man is able to interpret general revelation correctly without the light of special revelation. That assumption reverses the proper principle of biblical interpretation, which is that special revelation must govern our understanding of general. Revelation, you see what they're doing? General revelation is what God reveals in nature. Special revelation is what he reveals in his word. They on to say, those of us who hold the calendar day view, or the ordinary 24-hour day view, make no apology for arriving after careful consideration of the facts, at conclusions that differ from this so-called scientific consensus. It's not the wrassity of God which is impugned, but the evolutionary presuppositions of the majority of the scientific community, whose assumptions are rightly passed off as facts. Furthermore, it seems disingenuous to fault the calendar-day view for differing with current scientific dogma. But creationists, of all stripes... Doing something important here. All of us in Orthodox Christianity claim to reject the most dominant aspect of that dogma, namely evolutionary origins of the species. They're saying if we are Bible believers, fundamentally we are at odds with the scientific consensus in our day. Well, brothers and sisters, I've sought to lay out how, in fact, I've been interpreting Genesis 1 as I preach through it. I've not made the point along the way, but this is how I've been reading it and preaching it. It certainly comes to us four in the seventh commandment as it's compared to our days and our Sabbath day in particular. I'm very interested in providing some guidance about how we think, of this ongoing debate among our brothers and sisters. It is not just out there in other denominations, less conservative than ours. It's in our denomination and has, in fact, been our denomination from its founding. First thing I want to say is recognize when you're hearing legitimate, exegetical discussion and debate. So I went through uh, a list of uh, objections against the position that I'm advancing here, and I hope you can see that they're actually trying to understand the text. They're actually making what we consider to be exegetical arguments, no Look at this in the text. No, actually look at this. Think of the text in light of this. These are important things to do. And they've made observations, those who differ, the 24-hour day view, that are taken from the text. And what I want to appeal to us is for a measure of charity as we recognize true brothers who are, in fact, trying to understand the text. Remember early in this century, is that how you say it? Yeah, in in the early 2000s, uh, a great deal of heat on this subject. And I remember the temptation, and it was a tendency that played out in some of the debates, to question anyone's fundamental commitments to the Bible as God's word if they didn't conclude that each day was 24-hour period of time. They would be considered theological liberals, they'd be considered evolutionists, they can be considered philosophical materialists, and that's just a lazy and unfair thing to do. There are all kinds of slippery slope fallacies that come into this debate. If you surrender 24 hours, you'll eventually mythologize the whole account. That's not a... That's not an argument from Scripture. It's actually a logical fallacy. So some have tended to see any departure from the view I'm seeking to persuade you of as a wholesale accommodation to secular culture. And can you see that if that does become your conviction, it could be very hard to coexist, pardon the term, with other ministers and elders in the same denomination. You'd be careful simply judging Hearts of good men. And one of the things, one of the ways in which uh, that can happen is by taking everything that perhaps one himself has experienced of uh, exposure to Darwinianism and to uh, scientific theories of origins and assuming that that's what's actually being advocated for by another brother. Wants to raise questions about the text itself. I think I've mentioned this. Augustine, we have a great deal of esteem for Augustine, who died in 430. Uh, he actually felt like the absence of the sun in the first three days meant they weren't ordinary days. And so he actually ended up speculating, and he had acknowledged this was speculation, that there was uh, actually one big instantaneous creation of everything. Now, I think he was, oh, my point is he was not being, uh, he was not coming with the sway of Darwinianism uh, in 430. It is sobering and uh, I think healthy for us to recognize uh, that on this point some of the greatest lion hearts of Presbyterian history not come down precisely on the one hundred and forty-four hour view of creation of the creation week. Men like Hodge and Warfield, men like Bob Inc. and Kuiper, men like Machin and some of the founding members of Westminster Seminary, even the great Lionheart opponent of evolution, William Jennings Bryan, did not. Believe in six ordinary days. I, I don't know exactly how to explain this, brothers and sisters, but I know it was not because they were closet liberals. <laughs> uh, these are the these are the men who defended the church against liberalism. They affirmed the reality of Adam from the soil, Eve from a rib. They. Talking snake. From the story of the flood, Jonah the whale, a virgin conceiving, all the kinds of things that liberals would sit around and crack jokes about, Bible-believing Christians. I think that they became concerned that they were in another moment like the Copernican moment. I think they were concerned at the time uh, that just as the church had mistakenly read the Bible to see uh, the earth as central in the solar system and the sun as what moved and then had to recheck their interpretations of the Bible in light of what became patently obvious from observational science they assumed might be in such a setting again. I think they were mistaken about that. But I think I understand how they thought Here's the really the bottom line, and I'm so thankful for our own denomination's clarity on this. If the length, the precise nature of the days of Genesis 1 is something that good men can differ on in the OPC, what are the things that they cannot differ on? That was something very helpful coming back in 2004. What are those bigger issues that are litmus tests for those who would be ordained in our fellowship and given liberty to teach? Creation is by direct and supernatural activity of God, not by mere natural means. The whole story of the garden is a factual account of real events that took place, not some kind of mere myth. Man is distinct and a separate creation of God. He did not evolve from lower life forms. Sin entered this world by means of the actions of a man and a woman and a demon presenting himself in the form of a serpent. And not least of all, there in that garden, in the wake of that sin, the plan of redemption was first announced. To our first parents, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Perhaps this came back to my mind because of a recent Presbytery meeting we had. A minister seeking ordination with a non-literal view of the days of creation. But he was asked those questions and his answers to those questions proved satisfactory. I'll respectfully disagree with him on the length of the day while maintaining fellowship with him because he has got a fundamental issue. I talked about it last week as the North Star and all of our navigating these questions, the utterly, thoroughly, supernatural acts of God in creation. Creation is the result of God's miracle working as we would speak of it today. And honestly, I'll just say Once that thoroughly supernatural element of the biblical account is wholly embraced and all the weirdness as it would be seen by the outside world, those anti-scientific convictions, I don't know what's gained, honestly, in not seeing the days. Simple, 24-hour periods of time. Back in 2004, I cited... Doug Wilson, for the way he once put it, he was asked if he really believed the absurd account of Noah and the ark. All those animals in a boat, just living there. His response is yes, I do. Right down to the giraffe sticking his head out the window. <laughs> and here's his point You're not going to shame me for believing the Bible. Don't even try. Okay, maybe the Bible doesn't actually say the giraffe stuck his head out of the ark as the children's book depicted, but if the Bible said that the giraffe stuck his head out the window of the ark, I believe it. Indeed, why? Brothers and sisters, our worshipful response to God's creative acts is ultimately the issue. I will close by once again citing that creation Saul so clearly attributes to God miraculous power, miraculous feats. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, it took to flight. Mountains rose, the valleys sank down, to the place you appointed for them. Amen. 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 Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God, we want to be humble before your word above all. So I want to be humble before our brothers. I want to live in unity with them, unity founded rightly, the truth. We pray that you'd continue to lead your church as it stands in so many ways against the wisdom of this world, as it affirms what seems to be absurd to this world. And as it denies what has come to be perceived as patently obvious. Our Father, we pray that you'd continue to nourish in us our faith in the utterly supernatural origins and the redemption that has now again been accomplished for us both creation and recreation all by the miracle working hand of yours. We're going to turn now, Lord Jesus, to the great mystery of your death, our life, and your sacrifice being our salvation this Amazing, wonderful and supernatural union between us and you. Father, we thank you that you have not limited yourself to what we consider natural means. In our making and in our remaking Lord, continue to give us as we study your word a faith that leads to doxology our Praise the great wonder working God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.